Hello, my Vetfolio voice friends. We're so happy you're joining us for this podcast sponsored in part by DECRA. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Cynthia Otto and we'll be discussing one of my favorite topics, canine osteoarthritis and the role of weight and nutraceuticals in managing this condition. For anyone not familiar with Dr. Otto, she's a tenured professor of working dog sciences and sports medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, where she previously served as an attending clinician in the emergency service. Following deployment with the Pennsylvania Task Force to 9-11, she initiated a study of search dogs that worked during 9-11. She created and serves as the executive director of the Penn Vet Working Dog Center. She's published over 60 peer-reviewed articles, numerous book chapters, and is an internationally recognized speaker in both emergency medicine and working dog medicine. She was named Pennsylvania's 2002 Veterinarian of the Year and has received numerous awards for her work. We also had a good laugh about how despite her being in Pennsylvania and me being in Florida, I was the one who found myself without water due to frozen pipes on the morning we recorded this. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump in. All right, Dr. Otto, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, Cassie, it's my pleasure. We're here to talk about arthritis, and I want to start out just super, super basic. You know, we we talk about arthritis all the time as far as how to manage it, the different medical and surgical options. But in case we have listeners who maybe are new to the field or just as a refresher for all of us, let's talk about the actual definition of arthritis. What is it and why does it happen? I think that's a great place to start because I think there's a lot of confusion. And especially when we dive into the literature, there's a lot of different terms that are thrown around. And we talk about osteoarthritis predominantly in our dogs. But if you look at the human literature, they spend a lot of time talking about rheumatoid arthritis, which is very different and not that common in dogs. And so when we're thinking about arthritis, we really need to think about osteoarthritis. And, and what does that mean? Well, arthritis itself is inflammation of the joint. And so what is inflammation? We can go back to you know, those cardinal signs of inflammation, no matter where it is. And, and that would be um, you know, heat, redness, swelling, pain, and loss of function. So what causes all of that? And, and I think we also have to be really careful thinking about is inflammation always bad? You know, if, if it's so horrible, why, why does it actually happen? And inflammation is just the body's response to an insult. Usually we think about it as an insult to like an infection. So an abscess is, is my classic example of inflammation. You know, you get red hot, swollen, painful, um, and you can't move that area. <clears throat> but the same thing can happen in joints. And so that can happen from an infection, but more often, especially when we're talking about arthritis and aging and arthritis and overuse, it happens because there's a breakdown of the normal tissues. And they actually release some of their sort of inner contents and that triggers more inflammation. So the white blood cells that are kind of patrolling and and looking out for things that might cause damage or what they need to clean up get activated and then they release these mediators. So lots of different proteins and lipids that cause more inflammation. And in a limited amount, inflammation is good because it can 
remove damaged tissue and allow for healing. But in our joints, we know that it really is challenging for those joints to heal uh, once that, that starts. And cartilage in particular, because it doesn't have a good blood supply, there's no direct blood supply, it really does have a lot of challenge in recovering from this kind of an insult. Man, you're taking me back to vet school here with the blood supply and cartilage. And it, yes, it's all coming back to me as the blood supply shows up. And um, yeah, I'm not even going to attempt to explain it because I'll do a terrible job. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a great way to to think about it is there this breakdown of normal tissue and then we don't have good, great healing abilities in that area. So then we end up with this continual breakdown um, and progression of arthritis. Are there specific patients who are at higher risk for developing arthritis? Uh, what are some of the risk factors we should be looking for? Well, I think there are definitely risk factors. And I think it's true in humans as well. And, and so obviously age is one of those risk factors. And, and I think there are a number of things that actually complicate um, age and the development of arthritis. And those things that complicate it are, as we get older, we have a tendency to gain more weight. And we know that obesity is absolutely a, a huge risk factor. And I, I think thinking about obesity it's not just that we're carrying more weight and putting more stress on our joints. We know that the, the fat cells, the adipocytes, actually have a lot of ability to communicate information and create these inflammatory mediators. Um, so they are very active. They're not just sort of passive um, baggage, um, but they actually contribute to that inflammatory state that not only affects arthritis, but can affect all sorts of um, different systems. But certainly arthritis is one of the big ones. In age, we also tend to have less mobility. And so as we get older, we tend to, to move around less. And that augments our problems. We think, well, you know, we don't want to move around so much and we're not going to have as much wear and tear on our joints. But because that cartilage really relies on movement of joints to pump the nutrients to it, it really is mobility that is critical. And once we start to lose mobility, we lose strength, we lose the, the muscle mass that's going to support um, our joints. And then we may get more um, laxity in our joints because we don't have that muscular support. Uh, so those are all pieces of it. And then certainly in our, our dogs that, that um, are very active and have repetitive use. So doing the same thing over and over again. And, and my dog used to, to play in agility and fly ball, and, and there's a lot of repetitive jumping. Um, and that probably contributes um, to, to the onset of arthritis. We also know that larger dogs um, are more prone to arthritis than smaller dogs, but we do know small dogs and cats all, all can um, have arthritis and really suffer from it. There may be a genetic component. So dogs that have hip dysplasia or elbow dysplasia are definitely going to have earlier onset, more severe arthritis than dogs that don't have those kind of abnormalities. Sure. I think you're giving us a lot to think about here. I know I wasn't really thinking about um, the adipocytes that come with 
uh, with weight gain contributing to the inflammation associated with arthritis, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then of course, there's always the question of when do we rest versus when do we make sure that the mobility is continuing? Um, it sounds like there's not a black and white answer of these patients you rest and these patients you, you get them up and moving. It's the type of movement involved for that patient. Kathy, that's absolutely true. And, and we, we know that, you know, some of the movement maybe will be beneficial will be non-weight-bearing movement like swimming. Uh, that, that can be something for these um, older dogs or dogs that are having issues uh, with arthritis, though they're not putting as much weight on it, but they're still getting that movement uh, and they're building the strength because, again, we, we need that muscular strength. When we talk about the obesity issue, I just I always love to to refer to the study that was done. The longitudinal study was done um, with uh, Labradors at, at Purina, where they fed them to a body condition score of five versus a body condition score of seven out of nine. And you know, a lot of our pet dogs are are hovering around sevens or more. And, and we, we forget that these dogs should not look like a sausage. They should actually have a waist um, and they, they should not carry this extra weight. And what happened in that study, and, and I think it's so impressive um, and, and to share with, with our clients and even just remind ourselves that dogs that were the seven out of nine compared to the five out of nine had two years shaved off their lives. Oh and gosh. mostly that was about mobility and, and arthritis development. And so really, really important when we're talking about quality of life and how much we love our animals and how, you know, what would we do to keep them with us for another two years? Well, you know, we're going to, we're going to do all sorts of, you know, things we want. We want those magic drugs and all that, but one of the most valuable things we're going to do is feed them less. Two years. My goodness. That's a huge impact of body condition. Um, I, I, I love arthritis and I love learning about arthritis. And, you know, when I talk to clients, I think I have a pretty good repertoire, but you're giving me so many things just to think about and, and think about with my own pets. And then also in, in talking with clients that uh, maybe are not at the forefront of our mind when we're dealing with arthritis and, you know, we're reaching for, okay, how do we manage the pain? And let's talk about uh, movement and, and stuff like that. But uh, two years based on body condition. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Super, super important. Yes. Uh, so of course we're talking about arthritis is inflammation of the joint. So the use of anti-inflammatories would absolutely make sense, but of course, you know, anti-inflammatories, they often don't cut it alone in the long term. So can you tell us a little bit about what kind of supplements might be beneficial in the management of arthritis? So I think there's a really interesting line that we need to draw between anti-inflammatories and supplements. They're not mutually exclusive because many of our supplements are actually anti-inflammatories. So if we step back and think about our pharmaceutical anti-inflammatories, we think about things like steroids, which are very potent anti-inflammatories, but have tons of side effects. And we definitely don't want to be using those long-term. And then we think about our non-steroid anti-inflammatories and, and we they're, they're really part of our go-to but we again like to minimize the use of those to limit side effects but if we go back in history did you know that aspirin is derived from willow bark i did and not so know that salicylic acid is basically kind of one of our first nutraceuticals and so 
we have to be careful about saying, oh, it's a pharmaceutical, so it's bad versus it's a nutraceutical, it's natural. Um, because a lot of these, uh, these things that we use currently as medications originated as something from nature. And, and a lot of things that come from nature are, are actually quite toxic and dangerous. So we really want to think about you know, what it is that we're looking at and take advantage of some of these natural sources of anti-inflammatories. But many of these supplements that do work as anti-inflammatories work on some of the same pathways that our non-steroidals do. Now, our goal is that they should have hopefully fewer side effects and that we can tolerate, you know, we can tolerate them better. And, and it might be that we're mixing and matching um, different anti-inflammatory supplements um, so that we can kind of target um, the specific, the, the specific pathways that we're interested in, but, but they really do have a, a lot of overlap. Um, and, and so I think that we have to realize that, that the omega-3 fatty acids, which are probably one of my very favorite um, sort of general anti-inflammatory uh, type of, of nutraceutical um, is, is actually changing those eicosanoids because it's changing, you know, the, the fats that are incorporated into the cells. And those fats are, are the ones that, that drive whether there are eicosanoids um, produced or not. And, and so the omega-3s are definitely one of, one of those. But, but we have all sorts of other uh, supplements that, that target the COX-2 enzymes, which are, are the ones that, that we really think about in the eicosanoid production, like the phycocyanins, ASU, um, you know, curcumin may indirectly um, uh, target the COX-2, but probably more of the, the lipoxygenase pathways. Um, you know, so there's, there's lots of these anti-inflammatories um, or anti-inflammatory supplements, um, like Boswellia is, is a, a lipoxygenase, you know, it targets that. And, and some of them target the transcription factors like, um, MSM is, is something that's going to affect, uh, NF kappa B, which is one of the transcription factors that's important in generating some of these, um, inflammatory mediators. So lots of different ways that we can approach it and, and trying to figure out, well, how do we do this in a way that's, that's effective and safe. And, and again, most of these um, supplements do seem to have a pretty good safety profile. Um, so that's, that's definitely something to be thinking about. The multimodal therapy when it comes to arthritis. And I love that you bring up the omega-3 fatty acids because I, I put everybody on omega-3 fatty. I'm like, Oprah, you get fatty acids, you get fatty acids. Um, Cause I feel like they do such a good job and they're so important with a lot of inflammatory conditions, but I I've noticed a huge difference in my own dogs adding fish oil to their diet. Oh yeah. And fish oil. I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a regular. Everybody I, gets know. fatty acids. Yeah. <laughs> and all of the dogs at the working dog center um, do get supplemented as a, as a prophylactic, as a preventative. Yes. Is that, is that helpful or not? We, you know, it, it makes sense that we want to, you know, we put these dogs under physical stress and, and, you know, environmental stress. We want to kind of 
put them in a, a better ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. What we don't want to do is we don't want to just have omega-3s um, because then the normal role of inflammation has the potential to be hampered. And so that's a, that would be a concern. Um, a lot of our anti-inflammatory um, medication has the potential to alter coagulation. Um, probably not at the, at the doses that we're, we're approaching, but I did read one case report about a dog that ate you know, 200 of the, the chewable supplements and ended up developing liver failure and dying. It's pretty oh rare gosh. and unusual. They, you know, it's, it's unknown of, of the mechanism, but certainly anything that we overdo and, and some of these supplements are very tasty. Um, and so, you know, dogs may be uh, inclined to consume all of them if they get access. And, and, you know, we have to have to realize that, that it is a balance. Um, and, and so some is good, more is not always better. Sure, sure. Or you could be like me and have a Labrador and it doesn't matter if they're tasty. They just want to eat whatever they can get their little mouths on. <laughs> of course, the, lab, the labs are notorious. Yes. Um, uh, so I can, you know, as far as the um, the omega fatty acids and Boswellia in particular, MSM, uh, I know I've seen that those particular supplements help in my own dog. So I definitely believe in their efficacy. But what kind of evidence is out there to support the use of these types of supplements in arthritis patients? So Cassie, this is what has tormented me for about the last three months since we started talking about having this, this podcast. And so I started really trying to dig in because it's like, there's so much information out there and it's so contradictory or difficult to interpret. And so I, you know, I looked at the human literature. I've listened to, you know, three or four lectures by you know, boarded specialists in sports medicine or nutrition and, and human specialists. And everybody tells you something different. So there's just a lot of information out there that is, is really hard to kind of put our finger on is what is, what, what are the effects? And, and a lot of it depends on if we're looking at how they evaluate it. There are some things that our recommendations are made because we know the mechanism that this supplement works on. And that would be, you know, it is able to block COX-2 or LOX or, you know, enhance some of those other aspects that are beneficial, but maybe that's based on in vitro studies, or maybe it's based on experimental animal studies. And then we have to look at what species, was it done in rats or was it done in dogs? Um, and then there are the clinical trials. And when we're talking about clinical trials in veterinary medicine, we're lucky to get like 15 or 20 dogs you know, in a trial. Whereas in human medicine, they usually are talking about thousands of people. So when you look at the human literature, there's still a lot of debate about the, the efficacy of things like glucosamine, chondroitin and sulfate. Um, so a lot of knee arthritis um, paper or papers and studies have been and written. And, and one of the recent meta-analyses, it was inconclusive. Um, but the question is, is that because it was just glucosamine and chondroitin or is that because um, they had a select population or were those is, is glucosamine and chondroitin better as a preventative as opposed to a treatment? There, there's a lot of questions that we don't know. And, and I think that sometimes we just have to go with 
our experience. Um, we also know that there's certainly a lot of placebo effect, um, but we've kind of balanced what we understand about the mechanism, what we understand about the safety. And then we look for um, a number of things about the supplements. One, are they what they say they are? So we really want to rely on uh, on something like the um, you know the NACS quality seal, which is going to give us you know at least an outside assessment uh, for quality control and you know labeling guidelines, um, you know documenting that the the quality is indeed. Um, as, as it should be. Um, so, so that's, that's something that we want to be thinking about. I think that, that we have to decide, you know, is this something worth trying am I, and what am I using it for? And how do I know if it's actually benefiting? So again, we use fish oils as a preventative in all of our dogs that are, that are athletes, because we feel like that's, that's got some, some benefits. Um, if we have a dog that actually has, a risk factor um, like hip laxity, which maybe hasn't already progressed to arthritis, but has the risk for arthritis. We're going to put those dogs on uh, particularly a lot of these combination supplements because we hope it might work, but we don't really have a lot of good, strong evidence. And so we, we have to weigh the, the cost of it, the potential benefit and any risk. And, and the risks are, are, are probably pretty low. Sure. So it certainly can't hurt in some of these high risk patients, which I love that you bring up um, the idea of using them as preventatives, because that was actually my next question um, is as far as as using them as preventatives, does that make sense to do that in our high risk patients? Um, you know, I know you kind of mentioned maybe glucosamine chondroitin is better as a preventative. We don't know uh, what what. And you said you use the fish oils in the working dogs as a preventative, you know, cause we're not hurting anything and we may be providing some benefit. What are your recommendations for our high risk arthritis patients and using supplements? So I think supplements are part of a multimodal approach. I don't think that your supplements are going to be the, the full answer. Um, I think probably our strongest evidence is weight control. Um, uh, and then I think that the other thing we know is that arthritis is probably better prevented than treated because once you've got the damage, it's really hard to resolve it. So anything that we can do that can enhance joint health is probably a good, you know, a good investment. Um, again, there's just not a lot of evidence and it's a really, it's a hard one to study because, how are you going to study something that doesn't happen? You know, so you, you really want to look at the the dogs, and you know, if we had this double blind placebo controlled trial, we would have to have you know all of these dogs that had similar risk factors, um, similar activity, and then you know, ideally, the ones on supplements would have a slower onset of um, arthritis, or you know, maybe no arthritis. And that would be a lifetime study that we would actually have to be evaluating that. And so that, that I think is really challenging. And, and, and again, understanding the, the physiology of it and understanding the quality of the, the product 
products that we're choosing to use and knowing that these products can actually you know, reach therapeutic levels. Um, you know, those are all pieces that then give me more confidence to say that, that this is something that I'm going to do. Um, it's, you know, I wish I had really, you know, hard data documenting that this was, this was the way to go. But I, I think, again, the risk is low um, and the potential benefit is there. That absolutely makes sense. Uh, and that's always been my feeling as well as if, if we're not hurting anything and we have these high risk patients um, and our risk is pretty low, then, you know, it, especially my own dogs, is it is it going to hurt anything to go ahead and provide these supplements? It sounds like what it what encompasses so much of medicine and what we talked about earlier that there's not a black and white answer. It's an individual patient and their risk factors and their lifestyle taking all of that into account and then making the best decision for them. Right, and and I think that's you know that's part of practice of medicine. You know, it, sure. it's, <laughs> you know it, it isn't it, it isn't hard and fast and and. The other thing is that there may be certain populations that respond and others that don't. And so we try it, um, you know, on the preventive side, it's, you know, it's hard to know if it's not working, if it's not benefiting. Um, you know, if we're using it therapeutically to, to manage the pain associated, then that, that gives us a little bit more clear outcome. We can use some of the tools for pain assessment. We can use some objective, you know, gait analysis and things like that um, to really see. And, and, you know, I've had that experience as well with, with some dogs that I've, I've put on some of these supplements and like, whoa, that just made a huge difference in that dog's mobility and quality of life. And, and again, when, when we lose mobility in our dogs, it, it just really becomes a downhill um, spiral on that because they stop moving. They're less comfortable. They, you know, they lose muscle mass. They are less comfortable. They stop moving. Um, so anything that we can do to keep that mobility, I mean, loss of mobility is one of the main causes for euthanasia as dogs age because they can't get up and get around anymore. And so we really, this is a you know, huge issue and anything that we can do to, to keep them moving and comfortable, I think is, is certainly worth it. Absolutely. We run into major quality of life issues when we start to lose mobility. So we've talked about uh, weight control and you know, supplements, anti-inflammatories. What other considerations should we keep in mind for our patients or our own pets that have been diagnosed with arthritis? Well, I think that weight control, again, number one, there's just no question sure. in my mind that that's absolute. Maintaining activity um, and, and, and basically really thinking about sports medicine, physical fitness, some level, it, it may not be sort of classic rehabilitation. It might just be strength building and making sure that that, that is part of the plan so that, you know, a dog can be a body condition score of a five out of nine or even a four out of nine, but not have the muscle strength. So we want to make sure that we're, we're kind of paying attention to their, their physical fitness, but there are other tools and modalities that we can use, especially if, if there's pain involved, because it's hard to do any kind of fitness if we have pain. So whenever we think about that, our first goal is pain management. 
And, you know, the, the non-steroidals may be an option, the, definitely the supplements, but things like acupuncture and chiropractic, um, massage, all of those things can be really great as additions to what else um, that we're doing. Um, and certainly we can go down the, the very extreme end um, and think about surgery. So for hip dysplasia, we may do a hip replacement, um, but that that usually isn't our first line. I think there's a lot of other things that we can do um, to maintain you know, function and comfort and mobility in these dogs. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things about managing arthritis is I feel like there's a lot of options and a lot of different things to try. And, um, you know, it, ideally, then you get to see a really great quality of life improvement in that patient. Oh, yeah, it's so amazing. We had a, a patient come in, uh, there was a service dog, and he was a Labrador. And probably 20 pounds overweight. So he weighed 104 when he came in and not mobile, just everything kind of hurt. And he had a little bit of elbow dysplasia. We went through a weight loss and fitness program and that dog turned around and just, it just found the joy of life again. And, and that was, of course, we, we added, you know, supplements with all of, all of that approach. Um, and we're using the non-steroidals kind of as needed, but as, as we continue to lose weight and gain strength, um, we were able to back off and, and not use non-steroidals regularly and, and you know, sticking, sticking with that supplements and the rest of the plan was, was really life-changing for that dog. That's awesome. It's so rewarding. Well, Dr. Otto, I have learned so much from our talk today and really, truly enjoyed it. Uh, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us before we go? Um, keep active. Love your dog. Enjoy, enjoy life. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's so great that we actually have so many options of, you know, trying the different, different approaches. And again, not every, there's not a magic formula. So try different things. If it, if it doesn't seem to improve there, there's lots of other combinations. Um, and, you know, ideally we'll, we'll keep chipping away at the science and, and hopefully get some, some stronger evidence for it. Yes, that's great advice. And I'm looking forward to all the further research about arthritis and being able to make those improvements for our patients. Thank you so much for being with us today. Like I said, I really, truly enjoyed our talk. It was great talking with you, Cassie. Thank you again, Dr. Otto. And thank you listeners for joining us. And thank you to DECRA for sponsoring this event. If you'd like to find out more about this or other exciting podcasts, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.